the biggest mistakes of uh, the athletes is that they push too much to failure. And that going to failure is the worst thing that you can do. You gorillas, welcome to the Athlete Insider Podcast by your nation. My name is Phil and today's guest is an Italian calisthenics coach, somebody with over 10 years of experience in gymnastics, in mobility. I'm happy to welcome you from Italy, Alessandro Mainente. Thank you, Philippe. The pronounce was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm always for the name. I'm always, <laughs> uh, hopefully I pronounce it right. Um, yeah, I'm really happy that you that you're here. Um, Kind of uh, Jack, Jack Vinati connected us. Uh, you're his coach, uh, which already means a lot. Um, if you didn't see the episode, uh, we interviewed Jack Vinati, who is uh, two meters, two centimeters and 103 kg heavy. And Alessandro is the man who lifted up his legs, who was uh, who enabled him, of course, with hard work from Jack, but uh, who helped him to achieve this incredible goal. So, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to welcome you. Thank you. Me too. Thank you for the opportunity. So yeah, let's kick off. Who are you? What do you do? Do you want to pretty quickly present yourself? Well, uh, my history is uh, is a little bit strange because uh, I've played football for or soccer. Maybe soccer is uh, the good uh, the good word for a lot of time. Then I have torn my ACL, so a ligament of, of my right knee, and after I have decided to put my effort in uh, something that basically does not use the lower limbs, so <laughs> upper body work. So everything started with uh, gymnastics as a play, as a game. And with the time, uh, I started to, uh, to like gymnastics a bit more. But for sure, the main problem was my age. I was uh, too old to perform on some uh, apparatus, like for example, bolts or advanced skills on the floor or on the P-bars. So I focused for the most on uh, upper body strength. So on the P-bars, uh, on the floor, on the rings. And with the time I, I passed on the opposite side. So I started to coach gymnastics, both with the uh, young uh, kids uh, and the young girls. Uh, so basically doing a, a physical preparation, both for men and both for women. And in the same period, I, I met um, Coach Summer. Maybe you know who is Coach Summer. Christopher Summer, he's the, he's the owner of Gymnastic Bodies. And uh, I think that uh, he was a pioneer because uh, he moved the knowledge of the bodyweight training outside from the gymnastic gym. And I think that he was the first because he began around uh, something like 2008. So not one or two, three years ago, more than, more than 10 years ago. And I followed him into his seminar from 2011. In the same period, I, I spent basically my work on uh, study and um, listening uh, other strength trainer like uh, Tushar or Verkozanski or Zatryowski or Yer King. Uh, I have probably you can see my background. <laughs> I can say uh, 100 names, but the, the most important thing is uh, that uh, all of them are persons who share principle. Okay, so if you take a program 
that works. Basically, it shares the same ideas, the same logic of, of another program that works too. And with the time, what you can do is refine your knowledge about programming uh, with some experiment for sure, because for me, Jack Vinati was an experiment. And with the time, I had the opportunity to improve my ideas of training, especially by training not me, training other people. Because everyone basically has its own story and it responds different from another person. So if you can train 100 people and after I take you as a student, probably you can fall into this group of 100 people because they are all different. If I use the same logic uh, that I used for me 10 years ago, probably I can train only a people like me, a person like me. And for me, this is the, 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 real, uh, the real idea of uh, becoming a good coach. Working with many different persons, as much different as possible. So I had really uh, tons of students. Uh, I have uh, many results. You can check on my Instagram profile. I had the students with uh, Iron Cross, Maltese, Reverse Muscle Up, uh, one one pull up with 15 kilograms uh, at the weight of uh, 60 kilograms. So Vinati and, uh, and so on. So my profile is public and you can see. So for me, um, coaching is really funny. For me, because it's finding the the good strategy for every single athlete, and understanding what uh, work best for someone, and uh, what doesn't work for another one, and fitting experience, fitting uh, um, my notes, uh, and finding strategy. Uh, this is what for me is coaching. I really like the the word experiment uh, that you said uh, with with uh, that uh, Jack was was an experiment um, because um, like um, I can imagine that being a coach is always like uh, the first phase is I guess analysis like analysis sorry uh, like really uh, understanding the person's physique the person's goal goals um, and then to try out different things and see how they react uh, with their body right yes. of course. Uh every type of experiment should be done with logic. Uh -huh. So you have to put uh, together some ideas uh, and think about uh, what I can produce with those ideas. Because if there is no logic, what you can, you can expect? You can expect that maybe something happens, uh, but is not dependent on my ideas because it can be casual, not causal. Okay, uh -huh. so there is a bit of different, different. So experiment is good, but with logic. Okay. So um, yeah, let's get into into calisthenics. Um, tell us how did you uh, get into into this sport? Maybe it also plays together with the fact that you were too old for uh, gymnastics uh, back in the days. And um, I often hear calisthenics athletes uh, saying that the main difference between calisthenics and gymnastics for them is that calisthenics you can start at every age, uh, and gymnastics there is like you have to start early. This is like what a lot of calisthenics athletes uh, say. But um, maybe you can share your opinion about uh, the, really the difference between gymnastics and calisthenics. 
Well, it depends on uh, what are your goals. Because if you want to perform like uh, Yuri Keke or uh, Kohei Uchimura, uh, you should start when you are very young because uh, there are a lot of skills, especially skills with uh, an eager technical component. And you need to start when you are young because you have a very big number of skills on six apparatus. Uh, you cannot train 24 hours in a day because at the beginning you need to adapt to an agar volume, time over time, little by little. And only maybe when you are 16 or 15, you can try, you can train six days a week. So uh, if you want to perform on a high level technical skills, you need to begin gymnastics when you are young. That's for sure. Five or six years old. But if you want to specialize on a strength training, there's not a real age. Of course, you need, you need to take into account that as you start when you are old, maybe 40, maybe 45, you need to consider that how your body responds to strength training in the sense of physical adaptations is different compared in a case where you begin when you are 20. So there is a different anabolic response. There is a different um, hormone response. And this for sure is linked to how much time you need to recover. And if you need more time to recover, you have less time to train or you needed to wait more time. So if you begin when you are not young, you need to manipulate different parameters so that you can still train often and you can still train harder. But you can for sure obtain some results. I think that Jack is one of uh, all the cases. So I think basically the difference is this. What are your goals? If you want to perform a triple back or a double back with the two full twist, you need to start when you're young. If you want to perform a full planche, you can begin when you have, uh, when you, yes, when you have uh, 40 years old, when you are 40 years old. I, my, one of my, oldest client as uh, 50 years old and uh, he is 50 and he can perform the shadow planche front lever we are working on the one arm pull up so you should consider all these things how the people is going to respond how if the person has has some injury or maybe in the past there were some injuries and you can fit all of this problem with uh, his uh, life. So how many hours uh, he's working? Eight hours, seven hours, six hours. What's the type of work? He's standing, he's working, he is sitting on the computer, he's working with the upper arm because everything counts. Oh. 
Interesting. You talked about uh, manipulating parameters. Um, I think uh, one uh, parameter that uh, directly jumps into my head is the training intensity. So the, the RPE, um, I think, uh, is like one uh, important factor. Um, what, what else is there? Or maybe you want to also say something about the intensity of the workout? Well, I, I do not use the RPE. Okay. Okay. So I think that we can uh, consider the RP in three cases. So we have beginner, we have intermediate, and we have advanced athletes. The problem with beginner is that they basically, <laughs> their brain is uh, ignorant. So they think they are training at 90% of intensity, but that's not 90% because their brain ideally can be activated only for the 30%. So RPE is not useful because I can tell you perform uh, the top single and RPE, uh, RPE9, but maybe for the beginner, this is not RPE9, it's eight, maybe seven, okay, if we are lucky. So the opposite problem comes uh, in the case of advanced athletes. Why? Because they tend to push too much and uh, they tend to overdo and this is not good because they can accumulate too much fatigue fatigue and they cannot recover so the intermediate maybe can use uh, the rpe but i'm not a big fan of it i prefer other ways like for example using a buffer or uh, so that basically i'm sure that all the repetitions or all the second are uh, good or almost good, okay? The RPE can be very good if you work with the weights, weights so weighted uh, pull-up or weighted dip. And uh, in this way, you can uh, find, for example, the top single and then perform some back-off work, or you can find three uh, RM and perform a back-off uh, work but uh, I'm not a big fan of it. So uh, I've built, for example, Jack without using the RP. Or uh, another of my strongest students, uh, Francesco Castellini. Now he's able to perform uh, 30 second full planche and rings and uh, one arm pull up with 15 kilograms. Or if you want to try eight uh, one arm pull up done like this way, so fast, one second in the top, three seconds down. Okay, and I have never used RP. If you have a good idea, a good logic about the program you are going to write, you don't need to use the RP. You're not forcing. You can, for sure. Uh, it's an option. Why not? Get it. Um, so maybe you want to start sharing a little, what are the, if not RPE, uh, what are the things that you work with? What are the parameters that are useful and that you work uh, to achieve these goals with your athletes? Okay. Uh, from my point of view, uh, the biggest mistakes of uh, the athletes is that they push too much to failure. And that going to failure is the worst thing that you can do. There are very, very, a very good number of motivation. For example, the first one is that the technique is going to fail. So if the body becomes bad, the brain becomes better improving the technique, 
what happens if my technique is going to be bad? What I'm learning? I'm learning a different exercise. So if my goal is performing a good planche with a hollow position, and then I perform the planche to failure, I'm going to lose my protection. So I'm learning the planche with archer back. This is not good. Okay, so I'm, going, I, I'm learning, I'm teaching to my brain to learn good thing and bad thing in the same moment. So to, what the brain is going to learn? Not the first, not the second, something uh, in the middle, but not the best. Okay, one second uh, problem is that uh, with calisthenic, uh, basically we are working on uh, maximum strength and uh, sub-maximal strength. And uh, we need to think uh, that uh, uh, the fibers that produce the, good, the biggest part of the effort are the fast twitch fiber, which are type 2X. And if we train to failure, we are going to shift those fiber to the type 2A, which are not made to produce big effort. And this is what's happened with bodybuilders. Bodybuilders are big, bigger. They tend to have uh, uh, type 2A fibers, but they for sure they are not strong as the weightlifter. Weightlifter does not train to failure. So another good thing about uh, don't train, train, train to failure is that if you have some uh, buffer, so Maybe you train, you have to perform, you can perform uh, at the max, uh, I can say six reps. If you train with two reps or three reps, you have the possibility to reproduce this training session more time in the week because buffer can reduce the fatigue. If you can reduce the fatigue, your brain, your central nervous system can recover and you can train with the same intensity, with the same volume, more time during the week. If, uh, and if our ability to improve an element depends on the, how many times we can uh, reproduce this uh, movement correctly, if we can train more without injury, we can learn, we can learn faster. So the idea is uh, train smarter, Train better, not more. Okay, so if you ask uh, Jack Binati uh, and not also <laughs> Jack, the first impression that my athletes have is that, wow, I, 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 I don't feel the training session. It was easy. But, but that, that's the goal because if, it, if the session is too much, too hard, you are accumulating too much fatigue. Okay. Uh, another thing, another, another idea I can give to you is that, for example, uh, if the speed of your repetition is going to slow down too much, you are losing the benefit of uh, the speed of the movement. For example, I, I don't remember if uh, it was uh, 2016 or 15. Uh, it was made, um, was made uh, an experimental study where there were two groups and uh, basically with the same intensity, they did different um, training session, one to failure, the other one 
while holding the same speed of the movement, all almost the same. So basically, one group with more repetition, for sure, closing to failure, maybe six on, six on eight repetition. The other one, less repetition, something like three or four on a maximum, maximum of eight repetition. And the first group, the one who trained closer to the failure, they were bigger, but less strong. The other one, the group who trained with less repetition, but more speed, they were stronger. So the speed of the movement is this something for me that is very undervalued, but is really, really very, very important. So I prefer, for example, slow eccentric, faster concentric, always. Okay, so the idea is train with buffer so that you can train more. This is all. Well, I think you can but already I, I like. Hope, I hope that you, you really, you really can understand the one of one of them or what I said. It's in, it's in English for me. It's not easy, but I think that it was clear. I think it's super clear. Really, it's uh, like um, sharing this is uh, really eye-opening. I think, um, like I hear. Um, it's really funny, you know, like just to see the, these uh, calisthenics athletes, how they split, uh, like uh, how the opinions are separated in, in this topic, because the ones are like really 100% uh, in every session. Uh, I have to be completely empty. I don't have to like uh, a good session is only when I'm not able to hold any, uh, any move at, at the end anymore. And uh, then there is the, the other um, part, like uh, with your opinion, with uh, like, slowing down the intensity, um, training more often, uh, avoiding fatigue, avoiding, um, yeah, avoiding soreness, I guess, as well. So um, really um, just being able to work out more often at, at a lower intensity. Yes. Uh, well, it's not, it's not always uh, a matter of intensity because if I program, uh, so in a way where in a week, you have to train at 90% of the intensity. You train all the days, 90% of the intensity. But you can do that only if you have some rep reserve. Because in this way, the fatigue is less. So moving down the intensity is something that you can do in a specific moment but it's not always the best idea. For example, uh, when I needed to teach the one arm pull up or coaching someone on the one arm pull up, I, I use it to program with, for example, elastic band or a pulley system where you can uh, set up some weight and basically take off some weight for your, from your body weight. I move from lower intensity to higher, higher intensity in a time of uh, 10 to 12 weeks. So it's a long process. When you are at low intensity, you can play with all the intensities of this uh, range. So something in between 80% and 70%. Then when you move in a range where you are training with 90%, 85%, 80%. It's not a good way 
move the intensity too much down because you are losing the feeling with the weight. Okay, so there is a phase where you can do some, you can play with intensity, with low intensity, but when you move to high intensity, it's better holding high intensity. Okay, you can still push for sure, but if you push, you need to deload often. Okay, so with more frequency. That's, that's the, the only way. Okay, there is a, a good test that you can do uh, if uh, the strategy of an athlete is good, is um, observing if uh, he is improving constantly. I'm not saying uh, when, uh, with a linear, okay, in a linear way, maybe there are some fluctuations, some uh, waves, but if you connect uh, all the high peak of every wave, you are going to see a line. That's not horizontal, it's a little bit inclined. If you see an athlete and basically his, uh, his form, his performance are doing something like that. Basically, there is something in the training problem or in the long term and also in the medium terms uh, that does not work. So I decided to train uh, in some way because uh, I want to see a linear progression. So constant improvement, month over month, but usually is cycle over cycle. Because for example, Conjac, a cycle of training for the one arm pull up is composed of 12 weeks. So I can see the big difference in terms of improvement from the first day, three months later. And maybe the progress from month to month is only 0.5 kilograms, but maybe at the end of the month, of three months, he has improvement, the, the improved the one RM, maybe five kilograms or six kilograms. So this is uh, the, the idea. Okay. Um, yeah, I really like how you go into depth um, with, uh, with your explanations, etc. Let's say we have somebody, um, uh, the listener, he is like, he is stuck with his uh, tuck planche. Uh, he's like um, not progressing. He's uh, working out uh, regularly on the, on the tuck planche, but he's not achieving the straddle planche. In general, like somebody with this with this fitness level, um, how do we start programming for him? How do how would you start as a coach? Um, what would be his your advice to him uh, to to start? Um, yeah, creating like a, really a program for him to achieve his goal of the straddle planche. Okay, so uh, when someone contact contacts me or sends me an email, I I'm used to ask uh, show me how you can perform the planche. So the main problem is technical. So if you cannot pass into the straddle planche and you are performing the planche like that, or you have pain in the forearms, is because you are not using your shoulder, okay? So basically, when you, you are feeling pain in the forearms, 
is because your forearms are trying to compensate for the fact that you are not using the shoulder. Okay. And if you are performing the planche and you are experimenting pain in the shoulder, it's because you are not using the anterior deltoids, but you are using accessory muscles. Like, for example, the long head bicep, but the long head bicep can uh, maybe assist the shoulder flexion, that basically is what you do for the planche, for only the 4% of the entire range of motion. And maybe you can use uh, the supraspinatus, but those muscles are, muscles are not big. They cannot support the body. And they can injury faster. So the first thing, the most important is uh, evaluating the technique. I want to see if you are good in the posture, if you are good in the shoulder blade activation. So you should be able to press without losing the depression, okay? And the same things is good and valid for the one-arm pull-up. If you are unable to depress and pulling without losing, you are going to use your bicep and you are going to, uh, to injure yourself on the middle part of the elbow. So technique first. If technique is bad, we need to find a progression where technique is good. So maybe we can regress for sure. For some people it's not good. They think I have to regress, but it's not my problem. You have asked me, how can I help you? So if the problem is little, so if the uh, difference between perfect execution and your execution is little, we can scale down intensity maybe of the new progression so that you can activate your lats, you can depress, and then you can use your shoulder, okay? So when uh, uh, we have find the, when we can find the good progression, later we can um, adjust the programming. So basically I'm going to ask you perform your best and then basing on your best, I can uh, choose the correct number of seconds and sets. My suggestion is uh, working uh, something like in between the 50 and the 60% of your maximum seconds. So if you can do straddle planche for 10 seconds, you can work something like in between five or six seconds. So for example, in a three weeks cycle, three weeks a cycle, you can begin uh, working with the uh, six set of five seconds and maybe do this for two times in a week. Then on the next week, you can move uh, from uh, six set of five seconds to five set of six seconds. So we are holding the same amount of total seconds, but we are increasing the number of seconds. So we are reducing the buffer, okay? And then in the last week, I'm not sure if I can increase the seconds because I, I, I reached to fall in the seven seconds range. That, that is not the best idea. So it's better moving from five set of six seconds to six set of six seconds. And then 
in the fourth week, I can perform a little deload that basically means cutting half the sets, nothing more. And then in the last days of the week, you can perform a test. And for sure, the maximum number of seconds is improved. This is the basic idea of the fundamental exercise progression. Then you can insert exercise that can help the big exercise, the first one, the fundamentals, with some dynamic work that basically can stop in a dynamic range on the isometric position, but you don't spend too much time in this position because you need to take off some specificity, okay? So you can push a bit more, but without the same stress of the fundamental exercise. And all the accessory exercises are done with a lower intensity, okay? So, um, for example, if you are doing planche presses, okay, in the, and you are working at 85% uh, with the uh, triples or double, you can perform uh, as accessory exercise uh, enough press. So, from the support position, move up into the planche and move down, but not uh, at uh, 85%, maybe 80% or 75%. So lower intensity, you can push more repetition, okay? So this is an idea for the planche. So begin with uh, some buffer, increase uh, repetition or seconds, if you can, in a specific range that usually is the half of the maximum number of seconds or the 60%, if you need increase one set, and then on the fourth week, deload. This is basically what Jack is doing. I push a bit more on three, week, three weeks, but I deload on the fourth, always. And there are some people that maybe say, you are trying and testing the 1RM or the maximum number of seconds every three weeks, yes is only a test, is one set, nothing more. If you make some sets and use them to move closer to your best, and then you sum the intensities of all sets, and then you divide for the number of sets, the average intensity is not more than 80%. So simply you are recalling the, the exercise, a good intensity and uh, you are not injuring yourself. Th that's for sure. Uh, I, I don't have uh, athletes with injury. So no tendonitis. No, no. I think that Fran Francesco Castellini, he, he is the, the guy who is able to perform one arm pull up with 15 kilograms. He is training one arm pull up four times in a week. Wow. Okay, since eight months ago, no tendonitis. So planche push-up, rings planche, he's able to perform the elevator, the reverse muscle-ups, no problem at the elbows, no problem at the shoulders. So planning is the key. Of course, you need to 
adjust to what is necessary. So if your athlete is telling to you, I feel a bit uh, uh, sore, uh, I, I feel that I have too much fatigue, okay, we can take, we can take off one rep. Okay, so there is always the time to add something more. But if you reach the point where it's too late, there is no time to take off. That's the problem. And if you reach this point, it's not a matter of uh, uh, if I'm going to injure myself. It's only a matter of when, soon or after, later. <laughs> Okay, so if we jump into um, one training of a like of a statics move, you, you just said um, four or five exercises, uh, four or five uh, sets each. Um, is this like a typical training day for to to learn static moves? Well, usually I plan one exercise or two for a specific goal. So, for example, in um, in a Microsoft microcycle. I mean, one week in a week. We have three sessions for a planche. And in two sessions, usually, or maybe also all the session, you are going to work on the specific isometric position or in the exercise where you want to improve. And then there are some accessory work. So one fundamental exercise all on all the three days. So isometric on uh, Monday, on Wednesday, and Friday. And then maybe uh, on Wednesday, that's the light day, I can put some dynamics or I can put some specific core work. For example, uh, Jack, uh, I remember, has some limitation on uh, uh, lifting the legs. So, legs. so maybe he is a little bit uh, uh, weak in the glutes. So I can add the exercise for this part. And uh, if you have maybe uh, some spot for some more sets, I can add some front rises with the loop band, for example. Uh, or I can put uh, something more general, like for example, understand the push up uh, with the fuller range of motion. So there are always a spot for specific exercises, always. Then you can add something more, but no more than two exercises for the same goal, never. Also, for example, for the one arm pull up, you can have four sessions. And if I do four specific sessions, I don't have too much necessity of adding more. Maybe if I have imbalances or if I need some more strength in a specific part. For example, if I see that after the pressure of the one arm pull up, this part is very um, explosive, but this part not always very good. Maybe I can perform some depression for sure. Or um, for the one arm pull up, I can add some uh, archer. Okay, the idea is inserting the exercise with some logic. They should be similar to the fundamental exercise, but not too much. So when I pull up, then archer is good, or rope climbing, or simulating the rope climbing. So doing pull up along this way, or one arm body row, 
or one arm bicep curl. Okay, always body weight training. I don't use weight with my athletes. I'm not used to. They are, they 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 can be used if you want to make your session a bit a little bit more funny, but not for for specific goal. Goal. If you want to have numbers, all of my athletes do not perform more than something like in between 12 and 20 sets in a training session. So 12, 20. Uh -huh. That's not too much, I understand. But it's not important how much you do. If what you do sucks, it's not useful. You need to perform a good quality work with good speed, with good schema, with good trajectory, good, with good activation. That's enough. Okay. That's my way. Get it. Um, in the beginning, you said uh, two exercises for, um, one, uh, for one goal. Is it meant like in these four trainings, uh, the person doesn't do more than two exercises for, to reach one goal? Yes. So like four days in a week, I train one on pull-ups, for example, and there are only um, two accessory exercises for the one on pull-up plus the one on pull-up practice. It depends on the phase where you are. Mm -hmm. If you are far away from high intensity, you can perform more work because intensity is low and you can recover easier. Mm -hmm. The recovery is, is easy, basically, okay? You can recover easily, okay? When you move to high intensity, the stress, the fatigue on the central nervous system is very high. So you don't have a spot for something that uh, uh, potentially can uh, increase the stress. So as you move in the range 80, 90%, you have to reduce and in the most of the cases perform always and only the specific movement one accessory not not too much when you are maybe in the phase from 80 to 70 or 70 to 60 you can have one more exercise for the scapular depression you can have more archer you can have more general uh, pulling movement like uh, uh, two arm pull up and you have something like for the bicep and then you can have something for the core. So there is a time where you can do more. There is a time where you need to focus on the specific movement. Okay. Get it. Um, let's talk about some uh, some general advice, some general things that you're uh, a big fan of. You said like weights is one thing that you uh, don't uh, like too much to achieve the, the athlete's goals. But um, yes, uh, for example, what's your opinion on rings training? Is it is it helpful? Um, yeah, there are also like different uh, opinions on that. Okay, rings training is very helpful helpful if you want to become strong on rings. Because for sure there is a, a big problem that is the instability factor. Okay, uh, uh, the instability factor uh, takes the, the biggest part of the energy. 
okay? When you become proficient of uh, holding the rings together, all the things uh, become really easy, okay? But it takes time. Another problem of the rings is that uh, they stress a lot the shoulder and the rotator cuff. So if you don't have a good balance in the shoulder, you risk to injure yourself, especially in the long head of the bicep or the subscapularis or teres minor or supraspinatus or maybe your sternum, especially if you approach the rings where, when is not the time, when it's too early for you, okay? So um, if you want to be strong on the rings, you should work with them carefully because the amount of stress on the joints and on the connective tissues is uh, definitely higher compared to the stable support, like for example, floor or the P-bars. Another problem is the stress on the bicep and on the elbows. So if you are if you have some planes of performing cross or planches or multis work, you should consider the amount of stress on the bicep. So it can adapt, but it can take a lot of time. Okay. Uh, for me personally, uh, I remember it was 2016 when uh, I, I done, I've done the, the first Iron Cross on, on the rings. One of my problem is that uh, rings uh, was causing to me to me uh, a restriction in in the joint, in the connective connective tissue of the joint at the point where I wasn't able to bend my elbows more than that. Okay, every time I was trying to squeeze my forearm, I I had a sensation of cramps, but it wasn't cramp. Okay, uh, it's very strange. It's very strange. Uh, simply, I have solved it by reducing the volume on rings and uh, increasing the uh, flexibility of joint tissues. Okay, so rings are funny. There is the, the correct moment to introduce them in your training. Okay. Other tools that you're a big fan of um, that uh, like sh somebody should have in, in their workout? Uh, well, there are some period in the, during the year where I spend two or three weeks uh, working on high repetition. Like for example, something like in between uh, uh, 20 repetition and from week to week down to 12, to failure, okay? With slow eccentric and generally speaking, uh, slow movement. Because in, the way, in this way, we can increase the total amount of tension in a set. We can uh, produce uh, a situation where tendons can uh, adapt easily. So also Jack, every 12 weeks, he performs three weeks of anatomical adaptations so that I can prepare his joints for the future cycle. And uh, in this way, he can hold more intensity, 
more volume uh, time over time. So this is something that I'm constantly doing with more advanced uh, athletes. And there are many ways to do that. For example, in the one arm pull up, if you are training with the pulley system, you can stay something like in between 50 and 60% and perform one arm pull up for 15, 20 repetition. And week over week, increasing a bit in the intensity and moving to 15 repetition and then 12 repetition in the third week. In the case, for example, of an isometric hold, I, I continue to increase the number of the maximum seconds at the point where maybe uh, one of my athletes can hold uh, an isometric position for 30 seconds. If he can, he is training as something like in between 60-65% and he stays with the, these times for one month. And in this way, he can adapt. And then we can pass in the next progression. Or we can add some weight, maybe two kilograms weight in the, at the waist, so that we can make the position harder. And then when we can take off the weight, basically the body weight isometric position is definitely easier. So really there are tons of strategies that you can use in order to improve your strength, basic strength or specific strength. Strength. It depends on you, it depends on uh, logistics. So if you have, for example, the bands or uh, you have only the pulley system or you don't have a uh, bar, you have only low parallel bar and uh, you can make some decisions uh, basing on what you have at the moment, this, uh, this for sure. You can, uh, you can increase uh, your strength uh, and for example, the number of repetition of one exercise in two ways. You can compensate repetition or you can increase uh, the 1RM. Are you following me? So I can make uh, an example. I can increase uh, the number of one arm pull up by increasing my best weighted one arm pull up. If I can do one arm pull up with 10 kilograms more, maybe I can do seven one arm pull up with only my own, my own body, weight, body weight. But I can also reach the same repetition if I start with a number of maximum repetition equals to three by programming with the idea of increasing repetition. So for example, I can do only three repetitions of one arm pull up. I take my three weeks of training. I begin with the six set of one. And then in the second week, I move to three set of two. And then in the following week, fourth set of two, or, uh, fourth set of two. And then in the fourth week, I am going to test maybe my maximum number of reps is now four. Then in the next cycle, I can begin with four set of two, then five set of two, then three set of three. And then I test. And probably my four reps are faster than before. So for sure, I'm not as 
the previous month. I'm stronger, so I can move from uh, three sets of three on four set of three, then five set of three, or three. Then I test, and maybe I can do five. So is a accumulating repetition process. So I think that uh, we have uh, these two big uh, situation or strategies that is basically improving your maximal strength or the um, accumulation of the repetition time over time. Okay. And is this a way of programming also the way to avoid a plateau and to stagnate with, with your own performance? Uh, usually I, I analyze the program and I must understand why there is a point where I cannot move uh, forward. Uh, let me explain why training sometimes is more complex than what we think. If I have uh, an athlete, which basically is uh, so explosive, for example, in dynamic muscle up or one arm pull up, probably this athlete has more fast twitch fiber. So I can expect from here, from him to move uh, more and reach more than 20 seconds in isometric hold because he is not made to do that. And after two one month cycles where I can see that he is not improving, probably I should make uh, this uh, reflection. Okay, so consider also the genetic, but you can understand something more about genetic only by training uh, your student time over time. And for example, if I have a, a student uh, that responds less to eager repetition and eight seconds, I prefer to hold in the program always less repetition and less seconds. And I use more progression so that uh, the gap between the next progression and the one that we have already mastered is a bit less. There is more carryover between the two progression. And with uh, uh, the students, I tend to stay in a higher intensity range. I'm not used to move uh, in the 75 or 70% of intensity. Okay, so did you understand? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, so um, yeah, like there are so many things uh, you, you talked about um, that are important and that uh, like uh, you accumulated with your uh, knowledge and with your experience during the years. And um, in calisthenics, I would say it's still quite unusual. I feel that Italy is one country where it's already quite far advanced, but uh, like it's qu quite unusual still for calisthenics athletes to have a coach. And there are only uh, like a few uh, athletes that is that's at least my um, my feeling that um, say, yeah, it makes uh, sense for me or like uh, I, I, I invest into a coach. So um, 
to I think this interview already shows a lot of the reasons why why it makes sense to have a, like an experienced partner uh, at, at your site during your workout uh, like you. But maybe you can explain more in in your words why why does it think by why do you think it's it makes sense to have a coach and and Kalisonics to reach the goals? Well, uh, I have a coach. Okay, so he's trying to say, but three years old, huh? I was 90 kilograms. Okay, three so, years old. No, yes, three, three years ago. Three years ago. ago. Okay. Okay. So I was 90 kilograms, um, and um, I spent the times, sometimes finding a way for improve by myself, and uh, basically I was uh, overtraining. So I remember there was a period where uh, I wasn't able to sleep two hours uh, a night, something like that. I always was something like that, always. Rolling, rolling in my bed, no sleep. So uh, <laughs> at some point, uh, you need to make some decisions. So I found my, my coach who helped me for the battery composition. So I have improved my battery composition and uh, basically, I learned something more about training. I think that uh, having a coach, uh, it's a good opportunity to also learn something different from our perspective, okay? Because I have an experience and another coach maybe has a different experience uh, compared to mine, but all coaches uh, share the same logic if they have results. So I, I, I one of the few coaches in Italy that on his own profile uh, pushes his students. I'm not fun to push myself. I'm not a strong athlete now. Why? Because I'm old. And I, I, never, I have to spend time to work. Okay. Uh, so... My idea is that uh, also an athlete can be a good coach if uh, he or she was uh, coached too. Because uh, he or she can understand uh, ideas, uh, logic. Uh, he or she uh, was exposed to some uh, structure, some uh, programs, uh, and so on. I think that uh, all the coaches should have uh, a basic knowledge about uh, strength training. That means understanding functional anatomy. Functional anatomy is necessary if you want to choose an exercise. There are some people with uh, still want to split exercise on uh, pushing and pulling this does not make any sense. So I'm going to ask you, for example, the one arm pull up is pulling or pushing? So I th if you I will make say you it's this both, question is because there is a trap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you think about pulling in this part, also your chest is working. You can feel the chest works and the chest is a pushing 
uh, muscle. So the one arm pull up is a pushing movement. No, we should consider the range of motion. Pulling is a shoulder extension. So if I want to split the exercise on the correct family, and I want to choose exercise for my program, I should understand the functional anatomy. If I want to program, I should understand the concept of intensity. How much time can I hold high intensity? How can I perform a deload? How much can increase the volume week over week? And so on. How can I reduce fatigue? Do I have signs about overreaching? How can I avoid overreaching? Can I eat better? Can I sleep better? And so on. So there is a little, really a mix of concepts that one coach should know. Of course, there are always uh, uh, coaches that uh, have students without knowing too much about uh, uh, science, for sure. But I train so many different people that I need to understand and to know more. I have to say that uh, past the 40 years, uh, you have more probability of tearing the rotator cuff or the bicep tendon. So if I have people, a person, a student who is uh, uh, 50 years old, I must know what, what he can do and what he cannot do. Because I'm playing with the, um, with the life of the, of, the, of the person. Okay, if I, I train the person at the point where uh, he has an injury, I'm affecting his life. And what about if he's working with the, the arm all the days? A coach should consider also that. It's not only about training. It's also having in your hands the life of a person. That's also coaching. I have only a few number of really, really athletes. And uh, I don't have students who train eight hours a day. All of them have a work. They work... Uh, eight hours a day in the industry. They work driving a car. They work in the supermarket. They, are work, they work uh, um, as an engineer in front of the desk or the computer. You need to consider everything. So it's not easy from a point of view being a coach. And uh, who is the, 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 like for all the listeners now um, who are listening this and maybe some of them want to take the next level uh, in their workouts, who is the right person to, to work with you? What's, uh, what's important for you if you take, uh, take on a new client? Uh, okay. I think that they can read this one, which is periodization training for sport. Okay. I don't know if you if you know this book. Yeah, okay. we will so, put the link in the description. Okay, so uh, 
you don't have to read the book and think about finding training program here. Here you can find logic. Here you can understand how you can structure a macro cycle, a single unit of training, a single week, how to download, how to increase your 1RM, how to use a Centrix, and so on. And then the biggest problem here is uh, uh, translating everything for the body weight world. That is, uh, from my perspective, a little bit uh, more complex. Okay, and who is the, the right client for you? So to the people listening, um, somebody is interested in working with you, what's important for you if you take a new client? Uh, basically, there is no uh, prerequisites. So if you want to improve and if you want to learn, I do not make miracles. Okay, um, the, if you have problems and if you want to solve it, I'm open-minded, okay? Uh, I, I, I have to admit that uh, a biggest part of my clients already have uh, injuries. So the biggest part is still recovering from injury. So when they have tried it again, 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 and they are at the point where they cannot uh, train. Sometimes they come to me. Uh, I want to give you an example. I have uh, um, started coaching with the guys uh, on uh, the, the, the previous week. And he is uh, 22 years old. And uh, he has a, a very powerful genetics so think about that he, he was really able to perform seven one-arm pull-up, but uh, he told me, uh, I don't want to, 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 to get another injury. I want to train, nothing more. I don't want to hurt myself, no more. Okay, so I still work with uh, who wants performance, but uh, he must understand that uh, if he or she is in the case, in the situation, in the moment where he can push, we are going to push. But if I ask you to show me what you can do, it should be perfect. So I don't trust words. Facts, always. And that's the way in my profile, there are only my students. There are facts. Show, show facts, nothing more. Okay, sometimes uh, I understand that athletes uh, don't, don't search a coach because uh, they, they, they already um, discovered to have a good genetics. Okay, and uh, if you are in this case, uh, probably you don't, you, you don't feel the necessity of uh, searching uh, a guide. Okay, because you see that what you are doing is working. And uh, I think as an athlete, uh, if what I'm doing works, why do I need someone who tells me what I have to do? Because what I'm doing is working. And it, it works because I have good genetics. 
So it works uh, no matter what I'm doing. It is because I have a good genetics, but maybe you have to, to perform a question to, to perform a question. I'm having results with my genetics and uh, probably a bad program. What about having a coach with a good program and my genetics? So I don't know if Giacomo, Vinati, Jack, uh, now is expressing his real genetics, but uh, when he comes to me, was because he wasn't able to, pro to progress. Also, Francesco Castellini, uh, the guy who is able to do the one arm pull up with 15 kilograms, he was a really strong, I mean, three, four, one arm pull ups on, on each side, but uh, he wasn't able to progress. Also, in the planche, six, seven seconds. So, he worked with me two months, 20 seconds planche. So, good genetics for sure. Good genetics works. Good genetics with good training programs works better. So uh, I remember when uh, I was talking with the coach of Yuri Kiki, Bruno Franceschetti, and uh, he told me that Yuri really was uh, uh, a genius in his field, in the sport, in gymnastics. But uh, uh, sometimes uh, people say perseverance can beat genetics, okay? So this is uh, correct only if the people with the good genetic is uh, as, as, as a bad training approach. Mm -hmm. If you are training uh, in a good way, genetics always win, always win. Yeah, kind of demotivating for the people who don't have the good genetics, but... Uh... Well, uh, I'm not a person who say, if you have a bad genetics, don't train. You don't know what is your genetics. You have to try. I, I usually say there is a sort of invisible genetics that uh, you have not possibly to cut your arms enough and see how many uh, fibers you have in the muscles or see or, see, or analyze how many mother units you have in your, in your brain. So you have to try, why not? I'm not a fan of uh, try for one month and then if you don't have results, take the, the calisthenic activity and put them in the angle in the shadow now try and if you think that the genetics is a limiting factor maybe think that uh, there could be a coach with good experience that can uh, uh, take uh, your genetic off, off, out of your body so when i was uh, 90 kilograms uh, I, I i i thought that my genetics uh, was uh, really really bad now I'm thinking in another in another in another way, for sure. By the way, how how tall are you? Uh, one meter and seventy centimeters. Okay. So I'm short. So nine, <laughs> ninety kg is is a lot. Yeah. 
Okay. And um, yeah, like how, how, when you, when you talk right now about you as an athlete, um, how is it today to, to be a coach and, a, as an, and an athlete? Is it, uh, are you still like performing that you're happy with your performance or is it uh, difficult uh, for you? Uh, I have to accept that I cannot train like before. Before, uh, I think that uh, uh, there was a period where I was able to train uh, five uh, hours in a day. But I was uh, studying at university. So there was a lot of time. The time is the problem. Because in the strength world, you perform a set, then you rest. Then you perform a set, then you rest at three or four minutes. So if you perform uh, 15 sets, you have uh, at least more than one hour of rest. And then I need to perform some mobility so that I can balance my shoulder and my posture. Uh, and maybe I want to try some technical movement like uh, when I was training one arm handstand and it takes a uh, really a lot of time because you need to practice the one arm handstand for sure more than a planche, for sure, because there is a, a very big technical component. And um, so basically is that now I have uh, less time so I have only one or two goals that are um, my, my future goals. Okay, now, for example, improving the number of one-arm pull-up or uh, learning the back lever muscle-ups, but I don't have really um, a date with the time. I'm not in a hurry, for sure. Uh, sometimes I think that... Uh, with this, uh, uh, this body fat percentage, I am in an optimal situation to push. But I don't take too much time because I have to work. Maybe you have a family and you have, if you are a, a single professional worker, you, are, you have to adjust uh, uh, tons of aspects of your life. Um, I have students, I have online uh, coaching. Sometimes I have uh, some coaching course uh, in the weekend, not in this period, but it's a matter of time. Or I think that in September, everything is going to uh, move back in a normal situation. So probably in the weekend, I'm going to coach uh, somewhere in Italy or somewhere in England in the next year. Uh, so time is the is the big problem for sure i'm training definitely better now than when i was an athlete 100% yes i did a lot of stupid things i can remember them i i had for example a bicep tendonitis i wasn't able to lift a couple of teeth without feeling pain so it took about uh, one year to heal completely and then a very uh, long uh, recovery process. Uh -huh. So I, I remember in, in this period, there was um, Coach Summers, Coach Summer, who told me, stop because you are going to hurt. And I stopped it. I was lucky. Oh. You said uh, the body percentage would be perfect to push or like, uh, can you explain that deeper? What you meant with that? 
But uh, calisthenic is a matter of a relative strength. So it's a matter of how much power you can develop um, compared to your body weight. Um, so the fat is a tissue without uh, any utility because it, it cannot produce uh, strength. Okay, so uh, it's not the case. Uh, some of the strongest gymnasts have also a low body fat, especially in competition. So the less tissue that basically does not produce strength you have to carry on yourself, the better it is. So the bad thing for me is that the rest of the fat is in the lower limbs. So that if I have to perform planches, I still have body fat in the lower limbs. And that's genetic. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, ideally, holding your body fat in between uh, eight and 10% is the optimal situation. Because if the body fat is too low, you tend to need the more time to recover from the fatigue. If the bad body fat is uh, too high, it can be a problem if you have to move your body. Okay, it's nothing more simple than that. So you can consider to uh, cycle period where you have a low body fat and period where you have uh, a little more of body fat and simply make some adjustments like for example uh, i have to measure for example how many centimeters i'm gaining uh, around my uh, belly button and see how my skills uh, um how i'm going in my, into my skills so for example i gain four centimeters my planche is going down so maybe only with two centimeters, I can still improve or holding, holding my performance. So I know that if I want to gain weight, maybe because I want to put some functional hypertrophy, my limit, my edge should be two centimeters around my belly button. And then maybe in a period of competition, we can make a fast body recomposition. I can lose some a point of uh, fat percentage and uh, reaching a better body composition, talking about tissues. Um, and uh, probably I can expect a better performance. Interesting. And and the Coke you just uh, held into the camera, does it does it help you, the, the Coca-Cola? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes. <laughs> 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 of course, it's Coca-Cola with the zero sugar. Okay. <laughs> That's the only Coca-Cola I, I drink in this period. Okay. But uh, do you focus on, on nutrition as well with your clients? No, because it's a, it's a bit complex. Mm -hmm. Because uh, sometimes happens that uh, a psychological... Um, situation should be managed and uh, you need to be trained 
to do that. So uh, I, I don't want to say that uh, um, I don't want to add people with the nutritional component, but uh, I spent a lot of energy on what uh, I'm doing in this moment, like programming and so on. Having more energy for supporting people on their nutrition is something that now I, I cannot do. It's, it's simply a matter of energy, nothing more. Okay, but like uh, to put it shortly, because we're we have to come to an end uh, closely. Do you think nutrition is uh, is like a, an important factor? So, um, do you yes. sometimes have the situation that your programming should work well and it works well, but the client's nutrition is hindering or slowing down the process? Yes, uh, in fact, uh, recently I've started to ask my students to write down in their program or send me every week their weight. Because if you are performing the same number of reps and seconds, but with two kilograms more, you are not the same of one month ago. You are doing the same work with two kilograms more. You are stronger than before. So sometimes happens, especially Around Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> around Christmas, people over the world gain weight, <laughs> and uh, and this is a, a bad problem. Of course, uh, after this period, uh, always I ask them to okay try slowly to move back to your normal weight, so that uh, we can uh, we can see if the weight was the problem, and uh, if not. Oh, it's, it's very simple, but I think in terms of performance, weight uh, can uh, play a big role. I remember when Andrea Rosa won the International Barnegade Cup, he was in a perfect shape. Really, really. I never seen him uh, with the shape like that before. Never. Really, he was perfect. Low body fat, energy. So probably... Uh, he had a recovery diet. In this way, you can arrive to the competition with low body fat, but you are full of energy because all, all your stores are completely full. There, there is no space for, for more sugar in your blood. And he won. <laughs> True. Great. Alessandro, we are slowly coming to an end. Um, we always have some quick questions, quick answers at the end. Um, what's your favorite food? Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pizza. Pizza Finally. and uh, um, the meat of the beef. So okay. I don't... Uh, have you ever been in Italy? Uh, no, no. Okay. You can eat... Uh, there is a specific... Uh, um, piece of uh, the beef uh, mm -hmm. that is the Fiorentina. Mm -hmm. You can uh, eat it in Florence, okay, and uh, it's delicious if you wow. if you like uh, the meat. <laughs> wow, for sure. Nice. 
Yeah, like usually I ask the question uh, pizza or burger and uh, like all, not all, but most of the Italians that I asked until now, they all said burger. So <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that I finally have an Italian who's, who is <laughs> pizza. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, are you a dog or a cat person? Uh, dog. I had three dogs. Wow. So the, the last one is a black German Shepherd. Wow. Is not uh, um, from Belgium. I know there is some uh, shepherd also in the Belgium, um, which are blacks. But my one is a black uh, German shepherd. Great. They are not pretty famous. Uh, mm -hmm. They have a very strong character, and they are usually um, introduced into special forces. Oh, okay. Okay, so he's a good dog. Interesting. Even me as a German, I didn't know that there are black German shepherds. I just, I just <laughs> of course, I know the German shepherds, but uh, not the black ones. Nice. Um, yeah. What what athletes inspire you? Ziolus. He he's a monster, and I think that uh, another one uh, from Italy is uh, Maieli. Mm -hmm. So Emanuele Maieli, and uh, another one. Uh, Uh, I remember his name. Uh, he's a really famous uh, art artist. Uh, Eric Ortiz, yes. He's he's a, he's he's not human, <laughs> really. He's still surprising me year over year. He's an alien from my point of view, really. Do you have a favorite book? Hmm. Uh, I have to admit that uh, I I do not read too much. Okay, when you just, I have some... you just buy the books and put them in the shelf behind you, yes. so you look smart. All, all of them are uh, science book. It's also uh, a book. Yes. So when I when I have some free time, I tend to uh, spend some time reading uh, something in a field that for me is new. For example, uh, I, I mean uh, marketing outside the fitness world or uh, something concerned with uh, hormones uh, or uh, the physiological aspect of an athlete, something like that. I don't, don't have preferences. Okay. Or maybe some books uh, in um, biologic field or genetic or something like that. Okay. Uh, the best Kellisings event you've visited? Uh, I am uh, a judge in the International Barney Cup here in Italy. And I am a judge since 2014. So I moved around Italy. But uh, my idea is uh, soon or later visit uh, uh, the event uh, in uh, it's not Svizzera, in Colonia. Uh, I don't World of Bar the Heroes, the, the yes. FIBO. Yeah. Yes, the FIBO. Yes, the FIBO. Nice. I know that the, um, the staff of Burning Gate moved to FIBO one year. And I know that uh, Andrea La Rosa moved to FIBO, also Vicky Santoro, but um, 
I have never the possibility. But yeah, in that the was future, that was back in the days. Like um, I think uh, La Rosa was there. Uh, I think it was 2014 uh, or 15. Uh, one of these two years. Something but like uh, back then it was a different organizer. Like uh, today, um, we're uh, we're also a part in in that. But uh, like the the organization is uh, the company Barsflex. Uh, they are like organizing the World of Bar Heroes um, tournament. And this is like, um, it's a big, big thing. So uh, I, I'm happy to welcome you there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, sure you out. will. I'm sure you will yes, enjoy for it. Sure. For sure. Awesome. Um, yeah. Last question. What's your message to the Calisthenics community? Uh, <laughs> don't, uh, don't rush in the training and... Uh, Train smarter, not uh, more. Simply, okay. because we, we, we need to train for all our all our life, not stopping uh, uh, in the next two years. Simply, simply this, and enjoy the process. Nice. How can people get in touch with you? Where do they find you? How can they contact you about coaching? Well, I have uh, uh, an Instagram profile, Alessandro Menente, where you can see a message uh, and uh, I, I can uh, write uh, you back. I have a site with a really a tons of contents, contents and also a YouTube channel with uh, 25,000 uh, subscribers, but wow. everything is in Italian. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm waiting someone who has... Uh, uh, who maybe have some uh, intention of writing down the subtitles, but it's really a long process. So I am thinking about doing that in the nearly future, but not now, for sure, not now. So use preferential, um, use it as preference my Instagram profile. Awesome. Alessandro, big, big thank you. It uh, was a, an extremely interesting episode. Uh, so much uh, to think about, so much uh, that I wrote down, but it's, I think it's really an interview that I have to uh, listen to again uh, to, uh, to get all the advice and all the, the input. Big thank you. It was extremely, extremely interesting and a big pleasure for me. Thanks that you took the time. And yeah, thanks to everyone listening to this till the end. And before Alessandro, you can say goodbye. I want to say thank you, as I said, uh, for listening. Uh, one and a half hours interview. Big thank you if you stuck with us uh, till the end. If you have any future questions for Alessandro, maybe we make a second episode. Maybe uh, if you have a lot of questions in the description, just leave them and we will see if uh, if there is like in the next year, whenever uh, a possibility to make a separate second not? episode. Who knows? So um, yeah, give it a thumbs up. It helps a lot. And apart from that, Alessandro, you have the last words. Thank you, Phil, for this opportunity. I hope that uh, my English was uh, enough good to understand the concept or at least something. Okay. Um, and I hope that my, uh, my idea, my way of thinking about training uh, as can be uh, something something um, good for your training, for programming, for understanding, for learning, for everything, basically. And uh, you can uh, for sure uh, 
um, read the books, for example, the one that uh, I have already shown. And uh, I'm pretty sure that you can, uh, you can understand with the time uh, everything uh, I have already uh, said for one hour and a half. <laughs> awesome. Then uh, thanks again and bye-bye uh, to everyone.